Hello and welcome back to the Socially Good Podcast. I'm John Kilber and in this episode I'm speaking with pastor and anti-violence campaigner Mo Timbo. Brought up in Peckham, East London, Mo found himself embroiled in a gang and a life of crime that saw many of his friends killed in acts of violence and incidents that meant that he nearly didn't make it either. Arrested with possession of a large variety of Class A drugs, Mo was looking to serve a hefty prison sentence when he was given an opportunity and a sense of purpose from the most unlikely of places. Today, Mo is a key player in initiatives to prevent knife crime and is hitting the road across the country with a play about getting involved in crime, for which upon he draws many of his life experiences. And closer to home for us, at Eskimo Soup in our home city of Hull, Mo is one of the driving forces around the No More Knives campaign, which is going humble wide and trying to deter young people from getting involved in acts of violence and organised criminal groups. So I hope you agree, this is quite a fascinating and humbling discussion really. Um, We explore what it's like for growing up for many young people, we talk about family values and even the power of love. Um, So we're going to pick up the conversation with Mo talking about what he feels are the root causes of the youth violence that we're seeing in the UK today. So without further ado, over to Mo. Um, one of the major issues I believe in our society is that we don't have enough role models to point young people to. And again, that's played out. So I look at some of the huge issues in our society and I say to myself, okay, how can I play a part in reducing the anger? How can I play a part in reducing the loneliness? And how can I play a part in being a role model? I think, as I've always said, I think sometimes in society, we respond to the more obvious issues. So somebody's been stabbed. Okay, let's deal with stabbing. Um, somebody's been bullied. Okay, let's deal with bullying. And so we're very reactive to the louder issues. Whereas I like to take a step back and think, okay, knife crime, bullying, sexism, racism, all of these different are issues. But what's the underlying issue? What's causing that? What's fueling that? People's anger, people's hate. What's fueling... Um, people to respond in that way. So what I try and do is take a step back, look at the deeper issues of life and then begin to address them. Why are young men feeling so angry? Why do they feel like they're not heard? Why do they feel the need to have to go on the streets to get that attention? And so it's working, or would I say more of a withdrawn look at life and then beginning to deal with those issues. You know, the symptoms, okay, somebody's been stabbed. You can, that's, it's still a hard conversation, but it's still a more comfortable conversation when you begin to go into some of the deeper reasons of why are people carrying knives. These are more uncomfortable conversations because now you begin to look at people's personal lives, how a husband and wife are interacting, how a family are interacting at home. And so because we don't want to necessarily deal with that issue as a society in England, because we are living in a society now where it's everybody does what they feel is right. And so to begin to look at some of the deeper issues, you're going to have to look at how we are as a society and bring change to that. But when I look at how we are responding to stuff, it feels like it's more comfortable to talk about the symptoms than actually getting to the root, the breakdown of the family home, what's going on in people's houses. Why are people who haven't necessarily had um, life experiences are raising children at the age of 16, 17, 18? Why do they feel that's normal? So these are conversations that they're controversial, but when I spend a lot of time with the young people who have been involved in crime and violence, I find a similar theme of 
breakdown in the family home and um, parents are having kids that are not in a position to have kids and so it's the same and they're saying well the reason i am the way i am is because of what's going on in my house now people from the outside are looking into it and they're looking at all the different symptoms of why somebody could be involved in crime but they're not really saying what the criminals themselves are saying. The criminals themselves are saying, listen, the reason I'm behaving the way I am, if you know where I came from, if you know what I've been through, and we're looking from the outside and say, oh, well, what they need is more youth clubs, what they need is more table tennis, what they need is more pool. And the youth are saying, absolutely not. There are deeper issues. And so I think because it's it's an uncomfortable conversation that society, and I, when I say society, I mean the entire nation has to have and look at themselves and think, what are we doing as a society that's producing this? Um, I think until we're willing to have that uncomfortable conversation, we're going to constantly just be dealing with symptoms. We're constantly going to be dealing, okay, it's knife crime. If it's not knife crime, it's county lines. If it's not county line, it's self-harming. If it's not self-harming, it's this, it's that. And so we're constantly going to be beating around the bush until we can stop and say, hold on, there is a bigger issue at hand that's just playing itself out in different ways all around our country, all around our nation. So, What is that bigger issue? I, I personally believe it's the family home because a child doesn't just fall out of the sky. A child is brought into this world by parents. And so once we begin to break down that family that child that hasn't just come out of nowhere, that child that hasn't just fallen out of the sky, is looking for guidance in life, is looking for love in life. They, they, they have literally come from someone. So the person that they have come from has to educate them, has to teach them, has to guide them, has to guard them. And so without that, they're left to other people trying to raise them. And so I think it's a major issue, um, the breakdown of the family in our nation, as you can see it today, is starting to play out in people's behavior. It's starting to, I was in prison and when I was in prison, most of the people I spoke to in jail, I would say, I would say from the top of my head, 80% of the men that I met in prison, all of them came from unstable family homes. Yes, some of them were involved in poverty, but some of them actually came from wealthy families. Yes, some of them didn't have education, but some of them like myself had great education. But one constant theme throughout was what was happening in the household the family home. And so I think until we begin to look at that as a society and thinking, what are we doing as a society that's breaking down the family homes or not holding parents accountable for how they raise their kids, not allowing maybe parents to even discipline their kids, not allowing parents to tell their kids. You know, I was speaking to a woman who has a 12 year old son and he's being completely, you know, just rebelling against everything. And so she said to him one day, listen, you need to come home at eight o'clock. If not, I'm going to take away your computer and you're in trouble. And his response to her was, if you do that, I'm going to go and call the social workers. I'm going to go and tell the school. I'm, and so it's almost like the kids know now that parents have got no, no control over it. And she says, what can I do? I can do nothing. You know, if I do anything, people are going to be involved. They're going to take my child away. So I've just got to make sure he's happy with me. I'm happy and he can live the way he wants to live. And I just think that's very sad because if he carries on the way he is, 16, 17 years old, worst case scenario, you could hear a young man has done something, um, you know, really bad. He's done some crime and society is going to look at it and think, oh, you know, he's so misunderstood. But the reality is we've taken away powers in the house to deal with that as a young man. And I just think if we don't look at that, we don't start there we're constantly going to be chasing the wind. We're constantly going to be trying to look for ways to solve this issue without starting 
where it all begins in the household. And so, for example, where I grew up in, in Peckham in Southeast London was poverty everywhere. You could see it. It was right in front of you. You would see people and parents that have to work mad amount of hours to look after their kids. Um, you'd be boxed. If you told a school that you're from that area, you'd already be marked. And so it was almost a case of most of the parents who came across from Africa and Jamaica, they were just all thrown in that area in mm. Southeast London. You know, And so you look at that and you're thinking, well, we're already starting from a handicap. However... And this is why I feel strongly about the family situation. Even in those worst situations and the worst environments, the kids who had safety to go home to, the kids that were in the middle of all of the poverty, all of the issues around them, once they went into the house, it was like a different world. And that's why I say regardless of wherever you, you can put someone in a, um, a middle class household you could put someone in a lower class working class whatever classes you want to put them in it's that safety of the home you know for example when I was a drug dealer and I used to sell drugs some of my clients that I used to meet weren't actually from the lower class or working class were from the middle class households where the families were really rich and some of them would come the kids would come and buy weed and buy cocaine and when you begin to have conversations with them, it seems like they are struggling with the same thing in the house that we are struggling in the, in the... So we're living in different areas. Some would be from Chelsea, would be from Peckham, completely different areas, but we all have the same story. No one's paying us attention now. For others, it could be, you know, I've come from a well-to-do family, but mum and dad are working so many hours that I just have to raise myself. From others, is we're in a poor society, but I've got no one to be a great role model to me for others i'm not even raised with my family so i i still when i come back to it i still believe it is um it's a major factor for example had my mum and dad been together and i'd had that role model even if i was in peckham in the roughest area i would have come out of that and i've seen it so many times and it's always the big difference especially i can only speak for the area that i was raised in it was a huge part of um for some kids that made it and some kids that didn't. It was that background. And in your experience, when your father left the family home, mm -hmm. what kind of impact did that have on you? What my dad provided for me at a young age was direction. So again, like I said, kids don't fall out of the sky. We're taught things. We're, things are put into us and we base our life on that. And so when my dad was around, everything was a little bit clearer, direction in life, I should be like this, I should behave like this. But then from the age of 11, 12, that was gone. And so everything was up in the air now. It's like, okay, who, I am, who am I? What do I do? And who teaches me or shows me the right way that I should go in? And so once that was removed from me, I had to go from external people around me, you know, my friends in the area, my friends in the neighborhood, and um, some of them who'd come from the worst backgrounds in life. They were the ones who began to put purpose into me and teach me what, what a man should be like. Whereas when I had him there, there was a direction. I remember everything just feeling very clear. I didn't have to create an identity and identity was there for me to follow. Once that was removed, you're now searching for identity. You're now searching for meaning. You're now searching for purpose. But the people you're searching from are not necessarily the great role models. And so that's what I was saying at the beginning. Some of the deeper issues of anger, loneliness and role models are huge. They're huge because now my role model has been taken away from me. I'm searching for role models. I'm searching for people to look like. I'm searching for people to find identity in. And so that's where I 
found my purpose was in these um, individuals. At which point did faith become um, such a significant part of your life? Well, for me, faith, I'd never really grown up in like a religious house, religious home. Um, even now, I don't class myself specifically as a religious person. Um, but faith really kicked in at the age of 19 for me. And um, so before that, I'd been on the streets from the age of 14. I started smoking cannabis very strongly, again, because of the surroundings that I was around, the role models that I was around. That's where I found my identity. All the people who had the status, the guys that had the girls, the guys that had the clothes, the guys that had the money, had the everything, that's what they did. That was their identity. So in order for me to get there, I had to fit into their identity because I had no other identity to follow. 15, I started selling cannabis. 16, started getting involved more heavily in the drug scene and became a crack cocaine and heroin um, dealer. Ended up getting stabbed, stabbing people. So from the age of 14 to 19, my life was literally just spiraling out of control from everything from um, selling drugs, taking drugs, stabbing, being stabbed. Everything was just up in the air. Mo, if you don't mind me mm -hmm. asking you, were you angry? Was the overriding emotion then anger? Absolutely. It was, it was anger. Was everything it? was in there. Anger, loneliness, and a role model. I had people around me, but there was no connection, no human connection. And the reality and the, the issue is, I never realised that until I came out on the other end. Because when you're going through it, you don't think you're angry. You don't think you're lonely. You don't think you need a role model. Hindsight allows you to do that. So as I became older and I realized, oh, that feeling of anger is no longer in me. I was a really angry boy. That feeling of loneliness isn't in me anymore. Oh, wow, I was a really lonely guy. And so you only realize it as time goes on. So you would speak to a lot of young people today. They necessarily can't put their finger on it. They don't know what the issue is. They can't articulate it and say, well, the reason I feel like this is X, Y, Z. Neither could I at the age of 16. However, now I've come through on the other side, I can look back and say, absolutely, I was really angry. I didn't like to talk to people. I didn't like to be around people. I just, on the inside, I would smile with everybody, but I didn't really care about people. And you don't know that until you cross over on the so other side. So that wasn't side. part of the image of the, like that, which, that was deep within inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything perhaps counter to, to the image of that. Yes, right? exactly. So that was, that was inside of me. It was an internal thing. And you try and... You're not really buying into an image. It's a real emotion. It's a real feeling that you feel. You do feel angry. But what happens is being in the environment where everybody else feels like that, you feel like, okay, this is where we belong. We belong angry. We we are against someone. Who are we against? Okay, we're against the system. What's the system? I don't know, but we're against it. You know, we're against everything. And so you begin to find a brotherhood or a family on the streets because we all have this overriding anger and loneliness and rejection inside of us as well mm -hmm. and so I, I lived like that from the age of 19 like I said I didn't really have any necessary faith or anything like that but what happened is at the age of 19 I was arrested um, by the police for large amounts of crack cocaine and heroin so I'd been involved in county lines and what I was doing is I was one of the dealers that were using 15 14 year old boys in Bournemouth to go and supply for me and so one day I'd traveled from London to Bournemouth to go and reload them with some drugs. And as I was there, I was found with a thousand pounds worth of crack cocaine, heroin, and I was supposed to get remanded in prison. And so whilst I was in the police cell, I just thought to myself, though I remember in the police cell, there was a sign that said, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And I remember as a 19 year old, 
saying, speaking to the ceiling and saying, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's just me in the room. And I just thought, you know, I need a different way. But I've tried. I've tried youth clubs. I've tried mentors. I've tried social workers. I've tried everything. I, nothing is connecting for me. And so that's when I just thought to myself, you know, I've heard a lot about faith and, and everything else. Let me just say a prayer. And so I said a prayer in the prison cell. But it's funny because this is what they call, even the police officers call it, they call it emergency conversions. You know, whenever somebody's arrested or someone's things are about to get on top, they say, you know what, if you're out there, help me. And so th that what happened to me, no real intention of going into faith. But I just said, you know, what? I'm going to prison tomorrow. I've got about 10 years. I've got nothing else to try. All right. <laughs> you know, if you're there, help me, emergency. And so I remember what happened is as I prayed that prayer, the police officers came in straight away, literally two minutes later, and they came in and they said, we were going to remand you in prison, but we've changed our minds and we're going to give you bail. And normally they wouldn't give you bail for such a large amount of quantity of drugs because they're afraid that you're never going to come back again. And so I remember I left the police station that day and I thought to myself, that was a bit strange. You know, they just signed the papers and they let me go. Why did they let me go? Oh, maybe that works. I said, okay, so what I'm going to do I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to go to a church. And so I decided to go to a church on a Sunday. Again, I'd never been to a church, never knew what to expect. I had all these preconceived ideas of what I was going to find and what I was going to experience. But then I remember the Sunday I went there, the strangest thing happened. There was a speaker and he was speaking and it was a, it was a black man who'd been in prison, been involved in drugs, been involved in crime. And he started sharing his story on the same day that I walked in. And so he's like, listen, I did this. I came from crime, but look at my life now. And he's showing pictures of how his life was. And at that moment, for the first time in my life, that word role model kicked in. I thought, oh, so you don't have to be like this. You can change. And I remember, in fact, I went in with my girlfriend and I said to him, you told him I was coming, didn't it? Because it just felt like the whole thing was geared for me. And it was at that moment I thought, that's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for someone to be a role model, but a positive role model. So I said, you know, I'm going to start coming here. And then I just kept going. And I remember after going for a few weeks, he invited me around to his house for dinner. And so I went to his house and we were there. It was him, his wife and his kids. And they had a dinner and they invited me to the table. And so you got to imagine at the age of 19, that is the first time I've ever been around a table with a husband, a wife, kids having dinner, first time in my life. And I looked at that as a goal and I said, brilliant. Whereas before my goal and everything else was the guys who were getting the girls, doing everything else. But now I've actually seen a different way of life. I've seen a different role model and I thought, oh, this looks good. This sounds good. And then literally from that moment, I said, you know what? Let me try and find out a little bit more about this faith. Because his his response to me was, the reason I am the way I am is because of my faith and what I believe. And so I said, okay, you know what? I've heard a lot about faith, but let me make up my mind for myself. And the more and more I got into it, the more and more I started realizing, actually, this is good. You know, love people, that's good. <laughs> love your neighbor, that's good. Forgive people, that's absolutely good. I need to forgive some people and forgive yourself, great. And so I started realizing that the title of religion and faith was actually something that most people do believe in, but it's just the title of a specific faith or a title of, you know, it's values that we all sort of desire to be in. And so for me, it just really helped me from the age of 19. It just made everything clear. It just allowed me to see life in a much clearer way.
but not only clear, it just gave me a blueprint for life. And I think everyone needs that. Everybody needs something that's going to make life a little bit more um, easier to process. And that's definitely what it did for me. So that was an excerpt there from my discussions with Mo Timbo. If you'd like to connect with Mo or find out anything more, the easiest thing to do is simply Google Mo Timbo. You'll find him on Twitter, Instagram. You'll find out about the Potter's House Church and his various other projects. You might want to check out No More Knives, which is really active across the Humberside Police Force area at the moment. They're going out across schools. They've got a really dynamic way of engaging with young people. And it's all about... Uh, positive diversion, positive role models, and really trying to discourage acts of violence amongst young people. So it's an admirable cause, I'm sure you will agree. So thank you ever so much for listening to the Socially Good podcast. I've been John Gilbert.